0: Morning, everyone. Um, Hope you're all going well despite how hot it is outside. You met me before, and it's my joy to bring us uh, this morning's reading uh, from Luke chapter 12, verses 1 to 12. So, Luke chapter 12, starting from verse 1. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, He began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say.
1: Well, good afternoon, everyone. It's good to see everyone here. I see a few uh, new faces, um, and it's uh, really great to have you here today. Uh, I know some of you will be joining us for the newcomer's lunch, which is straight after the service uh, today, so I'm looking forward to meeting you then. Um, for that, please come along. Uh, and if you haven't registered for that, um, I'm not sure, do we see have space? Anyway, come and speak to me afterwards, we would love to have you hang around uh, and get to know our church and get to know us as well. Uh, my name is Ben, I'm the Senior Pastor of SLE Church uh, and it's a, a privilege to be up here to be able to speak God's words to us. Uh, we have been going through a sermon series in the Gospel of Luke for the last two months or so. The Gospel of Luke is one of the four I guess, biographies of Jesus and we picked it up um, in the middle of Luke where we've been thinking about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be a Christian. So we've been looking at that for the last two months. And in this section of Luke, we're more looking at why is it difficult to be a Christian? As we see in this section, Jesus meets a lot of opposition. He's preparing his disciples for that. And so we get to learn about what it's like to be a Christian today and difficulties that come with it. So you've heard the Bible reading from chapter 12. That's what we'll be looking at today. So please keep your Bibles open to Luke chapter 12 from verse 1 to 12. Uh, And as Randy mentioned before, if it helps for you to follow on the bulletin, you can find it on our church website, e .church/live, and you'll actually see a video of what's going on at the moment, and you'll see a link there to download the bulletin. Uh, I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to ask God to help us, uh, because this is God's Word, and we need His help to be able to listen to it and to be able to live it out. So please join me as I pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you speak to us through your Word. We thank you that in the past couple of months we've been able to listen carefully to what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to know that Jesus is your King, and to follow him means to trust in him, uh, to have him rule our lives, and even be willing to suffer for him. We pray today as we uh, continue to look into Luke's gospel that you would speak to us clearly about why Jesus faced the opposition that he faced and what that means for us today. Uh, Help us as believers to be able to be bold and courageous in standing up for Jesus. And I pray for those who are seeking for you and wondering whether they should become a Christian and believe in Jesus, that in spite of all the difficulties that Christians face, that they will see why it is worth following Jesus. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, public Christianity all over the world, even in the so-called Christian West that we live in, Uh, seems to be or is more uh, opposed and more criticized than it's ever been. I'm not sure whether that's your experience, but it certainly has been my observation that over the last five, ten years, it is increasingly difficult to live out our faith in public, uh, to believe in traditional marriage, uh, to stand for the lives of unborn children, Uh, To believe the Bible to be true and to even quote verses on Instagram or on Facebook or whatever social media. To share the gospel with our family and friends of salvation through Jesus Christ alone is to be condemned as being anti choice, uh, anti freedom, is to be a bigot. It is to speak hate, not love. It is to to command generation, which is the sin of intolerance. Sin of intolerance. Christianity is rejected and reviled. This has always been the case, of course. But in our world today, in this current generation, the rejection and the reviling against Christianity has moved away from the private sphere, where people would quietly reject and, and speak against Christianity, to the public sphere, where people are a lot more open and a lot more bold in calling out and condemning Christians. The negative consequences of being a Christian are being experienced by more and more people. In the past and in the present, it's always been the case in the persecuted countries that we are familiar with, like North Korea and perhaps parts of China and other places in the world. But it's been spilling out and spilling into the Christian West, right? where I think uh, things are getting worse and it will only get worse from here. Following Christ publicly has always been tough, and I think it will get tougher. And we as Christians, when we realize this, as we experience this, do you agree that it's, it's right and understandable to be fearful? Right and understandable to be fearful. And if you're not a Christian, and it's really great that you're here with us today, you might be thinking to yourself, why would I want to become a Christian when the world seems to hate Christians more and more? Why would I want to be connected with this Jesus Christ guy? Now, God's Word today will give us an immense, I think, confidence and courage as Christians to keep following Jesus and to keep being courageous, maybe even more courageous about standing up for Jesus. And if you're not a Christian, I hope you'll see why it is not just worth being a Christian, but why it might actually be the best decision that you'll ever make to come onto Jesus' side. Now we see in this section of Luke's gospel that Jesus was being attacked publicly. If you were here last week, if you were to read back to chapter 11, you would see this, this group of people called the Pharisees Um, uh, back in chapter 11, at the end there, they are lying in wait for Jesus. They're ready to pounce, ready to catch Jesus out so they can get rid of him. They're seeking to destroy him. And over and over again in this chapter and the coming chapters, and throughout Jesus' ministry, the Pharisees and their their henchmen, the the scribes, the lawyers, they, they stood publicly and persistently against Jesus and what he stood for. They stood against Jesus as the King of God and God's kingdom message. Now, it's very really important then that we know who these Pharisees were because to know them is to know what they were, why it is that they were opposed to Jesus, and why it is that they're opposed to the disciples of Jesus, and, and, and maybe we can figure out, is there, such a, is there a, a similar kind of group of people that will be set against God's people, Christians today? So the Pharisees in that time, they were the ruling elite, right? They were the ruling elite. Jerusalem and Israel was a religious city and the Pharisees were the ones in power. Right? That's what the Pharisees were. They were the leaders of, of, of religion, <clears throat> and they were the leaders kind of, of morality, of right behavior, of what's right and wrong. So they set the standards for proper religious practices, and they also set the standards for righteousness. And so they had a massive influence on the public space. Right? Legislation and popular opinion, morality, values, employment, education, family life, social life, they had a great influence because they were the leaders of that generation. And so the, the, Jesus says they're like leaven, right? You know, yeast that spreads throughout the dough. That was the kind of influence that the Pharisees had on that time. Their attitudes and their actions permeated through society. But we've already seen in the past few weeks that their religion was full of show and empty of God. It was hypocritical religion, right? Full of show but empty of God. Their religion looked good on the outside. <clears throat> they were full of religious festivals, they had sacred places and sacred things and devout practices, much like many religions all throughout history and today. But this external veneer of respectable religiosity, it masked the reality of their hearts. Right? The, the veneer of religiousness on the outside, it masked the true state of their hearts. For the Pharisees, as we see in these chapters, their hearts were far from God. They were in fact people who were out of relationship with God, and we know this because they refused to listen to God and to obey God. After all, God had come in the flesh. Right? Jesus, the Son of God, was teaching with divine authority. It was unmistakable the kind of teaching that he had was out of this world. And he was performing signs and wonders that were consistent with God's Son being sent onto earth to bring in the kingdom of God. And yet they rejected Jesus and they opposed him. They refused to listen and in fact they wanted to take him down and destroy him. Which of course, as we know later on in the story, they do. Their religion was empty but so also was their righteousness. It's no different. The Pharisees, right, they made up plenty of rules to follow. But their righteousness was to satisfy their own self-righteousness, and it was really to put on a show to show other people how good they were. Their righteousness was simply an expression of their own standards and not God's standards. The bits of God's law in the Bible which they liked, they kept. The bits which they didn't like, they changed or they rejected altogether. And so the Pharisees, this righteous elite, was like that, right? External. Self-righteous, but not really a righteousness from God. Now, I think the righteous elite of our day is much the same. You think about today in our culture, what is considered right and righteous? Well, there are a lot of people shouting out, virtue signaling what is righteous and right behavior. People who will stand up and shout loudly and demand a certain way of life and behavior, right? So, for instance, there will be the proponents of the LGBT and Righteousness for them is the freedom of self-determining sexuality and the right to, to be any sexuality, sexual identity that they want to be. And others would insist on, on the, 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 the rightness of utmost tolerance. Right? The full acceptance and agreement of all religions, of all views, and of all moralities. And then others would say that the rightest thing to do, the most righteous thing to do is to care for the environment that the plants and the animals is the same value as humans, and that is right, right? We have to give ourselves to the care for, God, for this world. Now, all this virtue signaling and all this fervent causes of, of righteousness today, it also masks, I think, the true nature of the heart, the one that has rejected God, that remains in rebellion against God, that refuses to listen and respond to God and His Son that He has sent. What all this shows is that righteousness today is still self-righteousness, still self-determined, still just a reflection of our own passions and desires rather than a righteousness that comes and belongs to God. Empty religion, empty righteousness. Right? That was the leaven of the Pharisees that spread at the time of Jesus and the disciples. And I think it's the same leaven that we see spreading today. Disciples then and now are to be aware of this. Nothing's changed. There's a lot of religion. There's a lot of so-called righteousness. But do they, in their heart, actually respond to God? Is it truly a religion that leads people to God? Is it truly a righteousness that is reflective of what God is like? The true state of heart, the real spiritual condition of of each and every person, we are told by Jesus in verse 3, will be one day exposed. Whatever externals that we do, religion or righteousness, the true state of our heart, Jesus' promises, will one day be revealed. Now this, on one hand, will serve as a warning to those who don't truly respond to God, who are hypocritical in their religion and righteousness. It's a warning. But I think in the context here, even more so, it serves as an encouragement to those who follow Jesus, that the opponents will be seen for what they are, and on our part as followers of Jesus, make sure what's inside us, our religion and our righteousness, actually matches up to what God wants. Now in the world of the Pharisees back then, the disciples were right to fear. The, righteous, the religious and the ruling elite, they opposed Jesus and they would oppose the disciples also. Pick it up from verse 4, chapter 12, verse 4. Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now, it's all about fear here, isn't it? And fear in itself, it isn't a bad thing. Right? Fear is that emotional, innate response to a dangerous situation. And fear rightly leads you to flee the danger that will bring you harm. And Jesus here is saying, have the right kind of fear to know exactly whom you should be fearing. And the, the choice is clear here. You can either fear man or you can fear God. That's the two choices. Here. You can fear man or you can fear God. You can fear man, people like the Pharisees, people who will oppose and persecute, people who can do great harm to your life now, even putting you to death. You can fear them. And of course, this is no mere theoretical possibility, is it? For, for weeks and months after Jesus gives this instruction, Jesus himself will be killed on a cross. The disciples, in the years following that, 11 of the 12 of them probably were martyred, were killed for their faith. And then in the, in the, in the 2,000 years since Christianity began, thousands, maybe even millions, have died for their faith. Suffering because of persecution is a very real reality for followers of Jesus. After all, Jesus claimed to be the one true king who has alone the right to rule. He claimed to be the only saviour through whom we can be forgiven and be brought back into relationship with God. Christians believe this and we proclaim this and we live it out and it's great news for us. But for those who isn't, it isn't great news, for those who reject this message, well, they will lash out. Because what we believe and what we proclaim is offensive, isn't it? you think about the message that jesus is the only king the only savior we are offending people's religious beliefs if we believe this by itself by definition we are in a way offending people's religious beliefs how dare you be so arrogant to claim that jesus is the only way how dare you say that what i sincerely believe is wrong but we offend people's self-determining righteousness how dare you say that jesus is the only one who determines right and wrong who gave you and who gave your God the right to restrict my freedoms and to restrict my causes who has got to tell me what's right and wrong I have that right and offended people they will lash out and they will lash out they, 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 they can hurt us in many ways yes even to the point of beatings and death that many Christians have faced but perhaps it's not part of our experience in our world and so we might suffer in other ways Maybe standing for Jesus, you'll be cut off from your families, cut out of relationships. Maybe your reputation in school or work will be trashed. You'll be socially sidelined, taken to court even. We, we hear stories now of Christians being taken to court, losing your job, being kicked out of a club or a society. All of this and more can and will happen if we stand for Jesus. And so it's totally understandable why Christians would fear man and want to get on the right side of man. But Jesus says, don't do that. Fear God instead. Get and remain on the right side of God. Fear the one who has the greater authority and the greater power. Fear the one whose judgment determines not just this life, but the one that is to come, eternal life. The worst that man can do is to kill our bodies, but that is nothing compared to the judgment of hell that God has the right to do and will do for those who do not trust in his Son. Jesus says in another gospel, in John chapter 5, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. You see, even if living for Jesus leads to death, We know that death is not the end. And the reason we know that death is not the end is because 2,000 years ago in history, Jesus said that he would die and he would raise again to show that death will be overcome. Now, we usually think that just means Christians will live again forever, but no, it doesn't mean that. It means that everyone will one day be raised from the grave. And then there will be a judgment to life or to judgment, a resurrection to life or to judgment. Everyone wants to give an account to God. Those who have trusted will receive the blessing of eternal life with God. But those who have not will remain in their sin and face the judgment of hell. Now, we don't talk a lot about hell at church. It might seem like a surprise to you if you're here for the first time. But I can't remember the last time I used the word hell in church. Maybe at least nine, maybe 12 months was the last time this word came up. And I don't usually bring it up unless it's in the passage. Right? And it's in the passage today. I don't bring it up willy-nilly, because it's not exactly a pleasant topic, is it? It's not very inspirational. It's not very motivational. It's just kind of scary and depressing. But if it's real, then we need to talk about it. If it is real, then we need to talk about it. Because if hell is the horrific place that the Bible says it is, then we want to make sure that we don't go there. And we want to make sure that other people around us that we care for and love don't go there. And what is hell and why is it so bad? Why do we need to know about this thing called hell? Well, the Bible tells us that hell in its essence is eternal separation from God. That is to say, it is eternal separation from all that is good because all that is good comes from God alone. Outside of God, there is no good. And so hell is a place where there is no love, there is no joy, there is no peace. When there is no kindness, when there is not anything that you enjoy about relationships and about things and pleasures in this world, in hell, if there was food, it would taste terrible. It would taste like celery. Sorry, I hate celery. If uh, if, if hell, uh, if, if there was drinks in hell, it it wouldn't be sweet. It wouldn't have any tingling sensation. It would just it would just be it would just make you want to vomit. In hell, there there would be no no enjoyment of relationships, no 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 no. Beauty, no enjoyment of anything, because all of those things come from God. It is why hell is described as a place of eternal torment, where there is crying, this deep, ongoing sadness, why there is gnashing of teeth, this frustration. Take away God and all that belongs to God, and you're left with hell. That's what the hell is. The choice to reject Jesus, God's Son, is to choose hell. So who should we fear? Jesus says. Clearly, we should fear God. The option is between death now, maybe death now, because I fear God and stick with Jesus, versus hell forever because I fear man and I walk away and I distance myself from Jesus. That's the option. And if you put it like that, it's a pretty easy choice, isn't it? It'll mean pain now, Yes. But we'll take that given the eternity that is at stake. To fear man puts you on the right side of humanity in this age, in the human age. But to fear God secures you in God's future, in the eternal life that is to come. But it's not just our eternal security and salvation that we can look forward to as we face the pressures of living for Jesus now. And it's the second point, right? We face the world with courage, knowing how much God values us, Knowing how much God truly cares for us. Now, right now. Verse 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten by God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. Right? Not a single sparrow. And the sparrow is the, cheap, is the cheapest meat protein option right, of the first century. It's about the price, I had to do some research on this, it's about the price of a chicken wing. Right? If chicken wing is $2 per kilo at Woolworths, right? it is one chicken wing, it's about 150 grams, 20 cents is roughly the price of one pigeon. And not a single one of these cheap eats is, forgive, is forgotten by God. This is extraordinary? Something that's worth 20 cents, a pigeon is not forgotten by God. Imagine how much God remembers us who are created in his image, who are worth much more than 20 cents. Down even to each strand of hair, Jesus says. Now, I cut my hair about three to four weeks, every three to four weeks. Because when you have short hair, you've got to cut it more often, is not it? Uh, I think faith cuts her hair once every year, maybe two years. But it's a good thing, right? I cut my own hair so it's free. I'm a good Asian, save money. So I cut my hair three four weeks, and then it's usually, uh, the hair's everywhere in the bathroom, and then I just sweep it all up, and I throw it away without thinking. then I will hose the whole uh, bathroom down and give it a good wash. But there will always be a, a random strand of hair somewhere that you can find. And sometimes it will be like here, right here. And you know what it's like to have a strand of hair here. You bend it, it pokes you. It's so annoying, right? And I would like quickly try and wash it away and throw it away. And this passage is saying to me that even this annoying little strand of hair that's stuck in the crook of my elbow, the God of all eternity, the creator of heaven and earth, He knows this bit of hair that belongs to me. Because it is my hair, and he values me, even down to knowing and remembering one single strand of hair that belongs to me. Isn't that amazing? The God of all eternity, the creator of heaven and earth, holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, not just cares about me, he cares about that single strand of hair that belongs to me. And so, if this is the case, then, What need do we have to fear? Why do we worry so much about what people think of us when this is what God thinks of us? And so Jesus says, do not fear living out your faith loud and proud, openly and courageously. Make it known that you're a Christian, knowing how much God values you. What can man do to you? I mean, you make yourself known, and you send out Christmas cards, maybe, and you don't just say, dear... Alice, love, faith, right? Write a Christian message. Tell people about why Jesus came and and what that means for them, right? Be bold. Post something on on social media, right? You might get attacked for it. Tonight, maybe you're an international student. You Zoom your non-Christian family. Tell them boldly that you went to church. Ask them if they would like to hear the message that you heard this morning. You know, in the workplace tomorrow, or on the next day, let people know that you're a Christian. Tell them you went to church. Ask them if they'd like to have a conversation about Christmas, about Christianity, about life, about meaning, about God. Live out your faith. Now, you might get hurt. You'll probably be criticized or condemned. You'll likely be shunned or shamed, either to your face or behind your back you will likely definitely be devalued. Right? You'll be devalued in people's opinion of you, your reputation, your, your usability. They might even devalue your, your place in the workplace. You might not get a promotion. You might even be so devalued that even your life is taken away from you one day, depending on where you live. But God loves you and values you and cares deeply for you. Shouldn't that matter? Shouldn't that make your heart sing? Shouldn't that bring you relief and comfort? Perhaps even unspeakable joy and thankfulness. And the courage to say, I belong to God. I believe in Jesus. I hope that truth really sinks in that he cares and values you that much. Because when things get tough, when you're in trials and when troubles come and you're tempted to hide your faith, I hope that you knowing your value before God will help you stand up for Jesus. But there's more. Jesus isn't done yet with encouraging his disciples to live out uh, our faith boldly. Here's another reason uh, in verse 8. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. You see, Jesus here, speaking to his disciples, he's basically giving each and every one of them, each and every one of us, a personal guarantee. Right? Personal guarantee. Stick with me, and I'll stick with you. Stand for me, and I will stand for you. And where will Jesus stand for us? He tells us it's before the angels of God. Now It's a bit cryptic sounding, isn't it? What is this, where is this place that's before the angels of God? I think it most likely refers to the day of judgment. It's that heavenly court scene where the angels are in attendance watching what's happening. And Jesus is saying that if I stand up for Jesus now, if I confess him now, even when it costs me now, then before the heavenly court, Jesus will stand with me and stand for me as my savior and as my king and as my redeemer, as the one who will usher me into God's eternal kingdom. And this he will do for each Jesus, and deny him like the Pharisees were doing, the opposite is true. For those who start to get scared and fear man and walk away from Jesus and, 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 and be unwilling to put up with the suffering and the pain of following Jesus, then the opposite is true. For those who deny Jesus, Jesus will deny. Now, what does it mean to deny Jesus? What does it mean to deny Jesus? I think verse 10 clarifies this for us have a look at verse 10 again. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Now, this is a verse that has brought a lot of fear to many believers. When you read a verse like this and you wonder, what is the unforgivable sin and have I accidentally committed it? Right? And it doesn't matter what I do anymore, I'm unforgivable. Right? We worry about what this unforgivable sin is. Now, in the flow of what Jesus is saying, I think verse 10 explains what denying Jesus, uh, what, what is the kind of denying Jesus that leads to Jesus denying you. right? He's explaining what that is. right? What's the kind of denying of Jesus that will lead to him denying you? And Jesus says that it is not it is not speaking a word against him, because that's forgivable. But what is unforgivable is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Now, I could go into a long technical uh, explanation, but I want to use an illustration to explain what this difference is. And I want to use the illustration of two characters that I'm sure many of us are familiar with. The first character is the disciple Peter, right? A follower of Jesus who became an apostle Peter. And the other character is the hypocritical Pharisees right, that we've been meeting in these chapters. Peter, as we know, denied Jesus. Right, if you know the story, three times, in fact, he denied Jesus. I do not know that man. I do not know that man. I do not know that man. When he was put on trial, when Jesus was being led to the cross. And then the rooster crowed and he cried. He denied Jesus. He spoke against Jesus. But then he regretted it deeply and he repented. And then he ended up continuing to follow Jesus and proclaim Jesus and live this life and probably was martyred for Jesus, right? He was weak. He failed but he turned back and followed Jesus. I think this is what it looks like to speak a good word against Jesus and still be forgiven. A momentary failure of a true disciple of Jesus. Forgivable. The Pharisees, on the other hand, they denied Jesus too. But the denial of Jesus was over and over and over and over again. In the face of overwhelming evidence, they still determined to destroy Jesus. When Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, cast out demons, the Pharisees said, you did it by the devil's power. Right? They they, they were willful, wicked, blatant, persistent and stubborn in rebelling and rejecting and, and denying Jesus. And I think this is what it looks like to blaspheme the Holy Spirit and not be forgiven. What is unforgivable is to reject Jesus over and over again, especially in the face of overwhelming evidence. The more you know who Jesus is, the more you see what he did, how he lived, how he died, how he rose again to prove that he was God's son, and you reject that sometimes. And when you fear man more than God, sometimes. When you fail to live out your faith publicly and courageously, sometimes. But then you regret it and you repent and you seek for God to restore you, you can be 100% confident that you will be forgiven. Remember the previous chapter, the Lord Jesus taught his disciples how to pray and he asked for disciples to pray for forgiveness. Ask and you shall receive forgiveness. Those who seek for God's name to be hallowed, respected, honoured in our lives will always receive forgiveness restoration. Now I'm not sure how you're going personally with acknowledging Jesus. How you're going in being bold and open with your faith. I don't know what kind of blowback you have already received for being a Christian or you will receive in the future, but this I know and this you ought to know. Acknowledge Jesus and he will acknowledge you. Acknowledge Jesus and he will acknowledge you, so press on. Whatever failings you've done in the past, if you haven't been doing that well, then just repent And just press on and follow Jesus. Now finally and very quickly, Jesus gives one last encouragement in our public Christianity. One last encouragement. Now every believer is given the gift of God's Holy Spirit. And at those times when we are faced with persecution, when we need to stand up for our faith in in the presence of pressures, and, and when we are questioned or mocked or criticized, the promise from Jesus is that the Holy Spirit will help us to speak and confess Jesus. Now, this was especially true for the original disciples who became Jesus' apostles, right, representatives. It was uniquely given to them the ability to defend and to proclaim the gospel. Now, you got to remember, we see this uh, gloriously in the book of Acts. So, the book of Acts is like Luke, volume 2, right? It's Luke, volume part 2, after Jesus has died and resurrected again. The disciples, as we see at the end of Luke, they were scared, they were fearful, they were doubtful, and they all ran away. They were once very ignorant and very fearful, but then they became the apostles of Jesus Christ who were able to teach and to defend the faith and spread the gospel and grow the church. How? Because this promise came true. They were given the Holy Spirit. In the same way, we too are helped by the Holy Spirit to speak when we are under pressure. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, which is part of the armor of God, we're told that the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. The more that we learn and understand God's Word, the more we're able to speak truth in times of testing with the help of the Spirit. In those moments, the Word of God will come out of us. We'll be able to explain and defend our faith, able to defend what we believe about Jesus. So don't be afraid and don't be anxious, Jesus says. Now let's wrap, 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 wrap things up. Now it's not easy living out our faith publicly in this world. I think that's true to say, I think that might be something that you've observed, maybe even experienced. It's not easy living out our faith publicly in this world. And from the looks of things, it will only get worse. It will be very easy for us to fear man and to feel abandoned by God. It will be very easy to step back from our connection to Jesus and even possibly end up denying Him. But Jesus says, fear God And not man. Fear God, not man. Fear God because His authority is far greater than man's. Fear God because His care and His concern and His value of us is astoundingly wonderful. Fear God because standing with Jesus now means that Jesus will stand for us on the day of judgment and who will bring us into His eternal kingdom. Fear God because when we do, we receive His Holy Spirit and will be helped by the Spirit to be able to stand up when we are under pressure. This is the wonderful stability and security and joy and hope that Christians have. And this is the wonderful stability and security and hope and joy that Christianity offers to all who have come to believe in Jesus. Why would you stay a Christian when it's so hard? Why would you become a Christian when it is so hard? Well, the answer is, it's because it's worth it. Because it's worth it. Because to, to be with Jesus is to be on the right side of God. It's to be on the right side of history. It's not to be the right side of eternity. It's on, it is to be able to be restored to the true value that God made us to have. It is the best thing in this life and in the life to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, even as we read a passage like this where we see Jesus being opposed by these hypocritical Pharisees who are hypocritical in their religion and their righteousness, yet we can learn so much about what it's like to live as your people in this world and for us to consider why it would be worth, totally worth following Jesus and sticking with him. The reality that we experience is that it is a fearful thing sometimes to stand up for Jesus and for Christianity, to want to share our faith, especially knowing that it is a message that sounds so exclusive, that Jesus is the only true expression of God, that he is your only king, he is the only saviour by whom we can be made right with you who created us. We live in a world which rejects this message, And it's more public with uh, scorning us and and criticizing us and, and wanting to cast us aside. But We pray that you'll help us to understand and be convicted that it is right to fear you, to recognize your ultimate and eternal authority and power that is far greater than man's, to rejoice in the fact that you who made us values us and cares for us so much, even down to our very strands of hair, to know that if we stand with Jesus now, he will stand with us forever. And to know that right now we have your Holy Spirit dwelling in us to help us to stand firm for Jesus as we live publicly, openly, and boldly for him. We confess that it, we find it hard, that we do fear man, that we do live in the time of man and in the place of man, and the pressures are very real and difficult. And so we ask for your help. Help us to believe. Help us to obey. Help us to be comforted and assured in our hearts. Help us to keep standing for Jesus. For it is in his name that we pray.